we're not saving babies with stinky diapers. We're saving people. And we're, how many inventions have we lost to abortion? How many other children have been lost to abortion because that woman or that man did not live in order to you know, create a family? How many great you know, husbands, wives, and parents have we lost? How many politicians who could have rescued any number of countries in the world from sin? We're not talking well about the fact that we're saving people who are destined to live a meaningful life. Welcome to Dear Jane. I'm your host, Scott Baker. Very excited about today's guest, Dr. Kathy Cook. Dr. Kathy is the founder and president of Celebrate Kids. She's an author, educator, speaker. You've heard her on multiple podcasts, including Focus on the Family and many others. Dr. Kathy also travels the country coaching others on how to communicate. Very excited to visit today with our guest, Dr. Kathy Cook. Let's just dive in here. We're just going to get to the meat of it right out of the gate. And, and, and this is something I have been reflecting on, and I've been so looking forward to our conversation here. But, you know, we, we had a recent election, and we, we see polls, and we I'm under the impression that the value of uh, the value of life is no longer the default by which a majority of people view the world. Do you agree with that? And if so, how do we communicate and, and deal with that reality? Let's just get to the meat of it, Dr. Kathy. Well, come on. Seriously, Scott. Uh, yes, I do. But first of all, I've got to say thanks for allowing me the privilege of being on the show. Appreciate that kind introduction and that you've acknowledged um, some of the, the things I've done. And I, I do enjoy communicating and I do enjoy um, working to help others understand how their words may come across. Certainly. So, yes, I agree that um, life is not the issue through which people make decisions about uh, everything from voting to spending money to their own lives. And um, among many things I could say, I think I'll start with the fact that if they don't value themselves, they don't value life. And I say that because there are many, many people who are sadly alive, but hardly living. And when I ask my audiences, how many of you know people alive, not living? every hand goes up. In other words, they're going through the motions, they're going to work to pay the bills, they pay the bills, they go to work, they pay the bills, they're, they're not engaged outside of maybe the necessities of their lives, they're not giving back. And when you serve and you give back, you find out really who you are. But if you don't believe that you're a person of worth, if you think you're an accident in a meaningless society, if you don't understand that you were gifted in advance to do good work, that you would walk in them, Ephesians 2.10, then the fact that other people's lives are valuable is not necessarily something that's going to motivate them to make decisions. How did we get here? How did we get here? Yeah, whoa. Centuries of, um, that's a fascinating question. Um, you know, the system is, the system is broken. So the system, education, government, politics, family dysfunction. Um, I, I will be sad. I will sadly say that you know, again, my ministry is called Celebrate Kids because my brother and I were celebrated and we and I want children celebrated. I have met far too many children, teens and adults who once were children who have said to me they did not matter in their own home. And I don't say that to be judgmental. I don't mean for anyone to feel shame by that. Most people do the very best they know how to do. And I mean that very few um, intentionally bad parents, very few intentionally uh, bad family members, if you will. But um, the, the hurry up culture, um, 
it's all about me, selfishness. Yeah, where did that come from? Where do you, I'm going to put it back on you, Scott. Where do you think it came from? I didn't really answer your question, except that there's well, brokenness everywhere. Well, you know, it's interesting because as I think about this, um, you know, it used to be when we talk about the value of life and just assuming that life is valuable and it comes from God, we know that that's not been taught in schools for years and decades and generations. We know that, but it was taught at home. That's where I learned it. Right. Right. But not so much anymore. Um, and so if it's not taught there, um, we're, we're having a generation come up where that's just a foreign concept that life is valuable. And, and so that really is just changes, just changes the context from which we can't assume that that's the prism through which people view the world anymore. Right. That's no, that's really well stated. I agree that you know, a lot of parents are overwhelmed and, Again, they don't believe in themselves, um, you know, for, for any number of reasons. Again, we can just go on and on. Um, yeah, so we don't assume that. If we don't assume that, then we have to communicate differently. All right. So let's, if we, if we start there, then if we, if that is our new reality, um, and maybe it's not so new, that um, a majority of, of the culture no longer um, sees the value of human life that God created life, that sort of thing. Now let's, let's then talk about the pro-life movement and how we are communicating our values. How then do we, how do we, I mean, I'm going to say fix that. How do we change that? I don't know if that's the, the answer, but then how then do we convey the value of life to the culture? I, uh, I hope I have something wise to say, but come on, you know, I, I'd be a millionaire if I knew the answer to that. And I'm not a millionaire. Um, but I'll say, I'll say, you know, a couple of things just randomly. First of all, um, God is real. God is good. God's a good creator. He's intentional and strategic. Um, we are created because God is a God of love and he has so much love to share. He had to make people, but he didn't have to make you and he didn't have to make you, you. I think we start with God is creator and the God, the, the Bible's real and it's true. And, and I believe it for these reasons. And I've seen the truth of it live out in my life and the life of others I love. And God is a God of love, and he makes who he wants made. And it's one of the things I say when I do pregnancy resource center banquets to raise money is that we might look at a girl who's pregnant and think, what was God thinking that she would conceive a baby, you know, when I have infertile friends? But that's not on us. You know, God God makes those decisions. And so, you know, do we live, I love to say to believers, if I met you outside of church, would I know that you're saved? You know, and my spirit should recognize their spirit, but I mean, would their behavior, attitudes, and choices be an example to me of what God would do if he were here? I, I think we need, as believers, to live with integrity and truth, the gospel. And I think we need to be concerned about the lost and the found who are barely living and not living an abundant life that Jesus died that we would have. So I think it starts before even, you know, pro-life, it's pro-living. It's back to this idea that am I an example of the life of Christ so that God is um, attractive to those who don't yet know him. You know, and I, I, when I, when I speak, I often say I'm pro eternal life. I'm pro life. I'm pro family. I'm pro abundant life and I'm pro living. And I love to tell students who I speak to that God did not send his son to die for your sin, that you would have an abundant school experience, you know, school will one day end. You know, he took your sins upon himself that you would have an abundant life. Are you living an abundant life? And Scott, if believers who are in love with the Jesus who saved them, has he become Lord of their lives? And are they examples of that? I think we have to have integrity. 
with that in our day-to-day existence and show God, show, show off God's goodness to us so that, again, he's attractive. So it starts with God is good, he's a good creator, and he's strategic in what he does. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. Uh, and, but, you know, I, I, I can't help as I'm listening to you. We had a conversation um, on a, a previous episode where we were talking with Monica from Secular Pro-Life. And this was a pro-life group that they're, they're atheists. They're, you know, and she was talking about how, you know, she loves to go to pro-life events. But the first thing that oftentimes what will happen is, you know, people try to convert her right out of the gate, right? So I'm trying to balance that in my mind. What I hear you saying is not right out of the gate. Hey, hey, well, let's take names out of it. Let's just make up somebody. Hey, hey, Susie, um, are you saved? It's not that. You're talking about modeling a life. Um, so, so, So if someone comes into a pregnancy center, for example, you don't right out of the gate share a Bible verse with them necessarily. It's reflecting a life that that makes others say, hmm, what's going on there? I, I love that. And I mean, really, let's praise God for the secular group that cares about life. And it's a fascinating thing that they've chosen to value life without believing in the creator who creates life. Uh, God bless them. I, I can't even imagine how they came to that conclusion they did. Uh, so and what, a, what a beautiful example to all of us know that that ought not be our first agenda. I mean, ultimately, we want to save the mother. We know biblically, we know from a research standpoint, if you save the mother and the father, they're likely to, to give birth to a child and not abort. But we don't save the mother to save the baby. We save the mother because she's a human worth saving. And then, of course, we pray that she would make a decision for life. So it can get complicated that way. Some of the criticism of our movement is that it's all about Jesus. It's all, you know, we're, we're all Bible thumpers, that sort of thing. Um, but it is so, so how do, how do we, how do we balance that out? How do we, you know, cause you're, you're right. When you say ultimately, yes, it is about, you know, we do want to share the gospel in the end. That's one of our charges, right? The great yes. commission, but we don't want someone not to come into a pregnancy center, for example, because, uh, they're, they, they don't, well, I don't want any part of that. The, the, the Bible verse stuff, right? That we don't want that to be a reason they don't come in. Right. So what's the balance, I guess, is my question. Yeah, no, it's such a good question. And, you know, just like I don't go out to a bus stop and say, hey, do you know Jesus? No, you earn the right to speak about the truth of the gospel. I think a lot of people come to a pregnancy resource center because they know that those people will be honest and that privacy is honored and they know it's in, it's free. So those, those are great values. And you look for opportunities to talk in conversation about why we value you. Why do we have donors who support us so that we can offer you these valuable services for free, like a free ultrasound, like that's huge. And even a free non-judgmental pregnancy test is huge where they're going to get wisdom, not advice. So they come in because we have a reputation of being loving and honest and true and privacy is valued in those kinds of things. And then you look for that open door, right? You look for the girl to say, I don't understand this. How is this even possible? Well, and then maybe the the client services director or the RN who's doing the ultrasound will say, well, would you like to know why we do this? Would you, would you like to know how this is possible? You're, you're deeply loved. You're loved without us knowing your name because we are people who value love. And 
you know, we, we value the child that's within you and the, and what you're going through. So, and I think, you know, the other rap of course, is that we only care about the baby and that's not true either. And we can talk about that if you want. Yeah. And that is something that uh, we, we, we certainly do hear a lot. Um, as you think about the pro-life movement, as you think about, as we talked about, you know, communicating within the culture, that sort of thing, uh, you know, whether it's on a sidewalk, whether it's at a podium, giving a speech, that sort of thing. What do we do well generally as a movement when you hear people speaking and what and, and what do we not do so well? What could we do better when we when we're talking well, with the culture? Yeah, I think there are great testimonies from men and women who have been through our centers who can testify to the way that they were loved and they were not judged and they were provided with material assistance so that the choice to uh, parent was not a hard choice. I think we could do a better job of communicating to the outside world that we do care about the family. We're pro-family. We want to get the men involved. And I'm so excited as I travel to see more and more pregnancy resource centers having legitimate dad programs. And I mean by legitimate, not just, you know, a statement at a banquet, you know, we love the dads, but they have a man cave where they do the counseling for the dad. You know, it's not pink and yellow. And, uh, and I have a smile on my face when I say that because most centers don't even have pink and yellow rooms, but the, the thought would be that we do, and we really don't, but we have legitimate men coaching men on how to support their girl who now has conceived their child. And we would we'd be pro-marriage if that would be God's best for this couple. So I don't think we communicate that well, that we're about the family, that we want to save the family. I don't think we communicate well that we offer support often through age two. I was at a center recently. They provide support through age six. So because they know that the longer that you're invested in parent education and material assistance, the less likely a girl will have another unexpected pregnancy. Or if she does, she will not be vulnerable anymore to abortion. She will be pro-life when she conceives that second child because she has seen that it is possible for her to honor the life of her child. Um, I'll say one more thing, Scott, and, and this is something that I think I'm becoming known for, and it's not about me, but we're not good at talking about saving the person. We talk about saving the baby. And Scott, we're not saving babies with stinky diapers. We're saving people who were created in the image of God with gifts that they can use to glorify him and to change the world for good and not evil. And we're, how many inventions have we lost to abortion? How many other children have been lost to abortion because that woman or that man did not live in order to, you know, create a family? How many greats, you know, husbands, wives, and parents have we lost? How many politicians who could have rescued any number of countries in the world from sin. We're not talking well about the fact that we're saving people who are destined to live a meaningful life. I've heard you talk about this before. What's the difference between being pro-life and anti-abortion, anti-planned parenthood, for example? You've, you've draw, I've heard you draw that distinction before. You're right. I have. I haven't thought about that recently. I, I think, you know, I think we should be known to be optimistic, right? I think that believers have hope and optimism ought to be at the core of our character. And we ought to be looking for what's right before we see what's wrong. I think in general, as we look at ourselves, we look at our marriages, we look at our children, we look at our culture and our churches. Let's be optimistic and positive and let's know what's right. So I think in general, I'm a pro person. And I think that that honors the Lord. So telling people what we're for helps them become that. Sometimes I'll draw the comparison. I'm not, you know, I'm more pro-life than I am anti-death. You know, I just wish they, they call themselves pro-choice. Let's just call them pro-death. I mean, I'm sorry. 
Um, but that's how blunt I, I will sometimes be when I've earned the right to be so. Um, you know, they're a medical operation that's liberal who believes in very little that would honor the Lord, that's for sure. Um, yeah, pro-life, pro-baby, pro-family, pro-health. That's Most just something that resonates better with the public, you think? I mean, is that just, is, is that why? Yeah, that's a great point. I think it, yes, I think, I think it does resonate with them. I think people want to know what to do instead of what I believe right? You know, the change process in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says you take off your old self, you put on your new self, and you change your mind. That's Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Take off your old self, which is corrupted, put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And the middle verse between the two, verse 23 of Ephesians 4, renew your mind. And that's done in the Holy Word of God. So when, when you want people to change from uh, a Planned Parenthood pro-choice perspective to pro-life, you have to help them identify, they have to take off their current perspective that life isn't valuable, that life doesn't matter, that that woman doesn't deserve to be a mom, that that dad's going to be a jerk, that man's not going to be able to be a dad. You have to take off the beliefs that have caused them to believe that death is okay, and you help them put on pro-beliefs. So I think they know what they believe. Like they probably know why they're pro-choice or pro-death, but they don't know why they could be or should be pro-life. So if we talk more about who they could be and why, what's our rationale, maybe it's more likely that they'll, they'll feel their foundation eroding under them. And they'll start to be curious about what we really say and what we really talk about. Listening with Dr. Kathy Cook, we're going to take a break here on Dear Jane. When we come back, we're going to talk more about what it means to be pro-family and pro-abundant life. We'll do that when we come back here on Dear Jane. Are you a pregnancy center or pro-life organization that wants to grow your life-saving mission in a way that effectively reaches women who need help? At Choose Life Promo, our ultimate goal is to help organizations empower women to choose life. We take our design and marketing expertise to the next level, creating apparel, videos, and other items that are eye-catching and attractive, ripe with accurate information specifically for women that need support, and spread awareness about your pregnancy center to donors and potential supporters. At Choose Life Promo, our mission is to impact our culture to choose life through communication strategies grounded in both research and biblical values. We want to give you promotional items that inspire donations and also educate the abortion-minded woman about your pregnancy center so she can receive the care and support she needs. Saving lives is always in style. Learn more at ChooseLifePromo.com. And we're back here with Dr. Kathy Cook, who is an author and a speaker. And uh, just you've heard of her, I'm sure, on lots of different podcasts, Focus on the Family, founder and president of Celebrate Kids. And we're talking about uh, a lot of different things, just how we communicate within the pro-life movement um, and, and some of the things that we do well and maybe not so well. Dr. Kathy, one of the things that you uh, mentioned before, you are pro-abundant life. What's that mean? No, it means that we live with joy and expectation that we're positive and hopeful and optimistic. Even on the worst of our days, we recognize that God is still on the throne and he's not surprised. 
We are people-centered, other-centered. Jesus has become Lord of our lives. We don't just have fire insurance. And I know most of us start with fire insurance. We're not going to go to hell. Yay me. Uh, But then I would pray that through quality instruction and the reading of the word, we would develop an on-earth attitude that ministers hope and healing to people. Um, abundant life. We're generous. We're grateful. We understand the sacrifice of Jesus and we don't want to waste it. One of the things that I talk to people about is that we are created by an intentional God. He knows what he's doing. He knits us together. He just doesn't snap his fingers. Like we are strategically thought of. And like I used to say, I'm too tall. I'm six one. When I was a little girl, I was too tall. And so I used to think I'm, I'm so tall. I'm too tall. That dishonors God. I'm not too tall. I'm tall. And my height is one of my great advantages now as a speaker. Frankly, people can see me quite easily. And that's, there's more of my story. But believing that allows me to have an abundant life where I see God is good and God doesn't make mistakes. We have questions, but we don't question God in the same way that an unbeliever would. Abundant life. And you've you've also said it, and and this is interesting to me because as a believer, this makes sense to me, but it also causes a bit of dissonance in me. So you you talked about how there are no God has there are no unplanned pregnancies for God, or or at least there are no surprises. I don't want to change your words here, right? But as we as 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 we look at how some of these pregnancies come to happen, and we can think of all different kinds of scenarios. And how these come to happen, you think, okay, wow, that that came about under the uh, most bizarre or most unfortunate set of circumstances. But yet, that was God's plan all along. Help me understand that. Oh, please, I'm not a theologian. <laughs> um, I no, you, you seriously. I mean, Scott, your question is so legit. This is where. You know, like Job, we can ask a lot of questions. And at the end of the day, we might not know until we're in heaven. What I typically say to people is that sin was never God's intent. He did not want that to enter into the world, but it did. And we live with it, this side of heaven. And one of the things that I know to be true is God is a God of the big picture. And there are so many times that we do not understand why God is allowing this suffering or this miscarriage or this infertility or this baby who was aborted and this baby who wasn't. We don't get it. It's not ours to get. God is a God who understands. And I know of personal stories where I can think of a school shooting here in Texas where I live, where it was horrendous. And I, I, I don't, I hate to even remind people of it, but it was horrendous. But what most people don't know is the number of organs donated from the people who were killed. And again, does God weep with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet the big picture would be something we may not ever see. I have an adopted niece and um, I'm so grateful for her birth parents who chose life for my Betsy. And she's now, you know, um, married and a mom of three. And when she gave birth to her firstborn and held JD, for the first time, she recognized the sacrifice of her birth mom. And it was, there was a healing that came over her because there had always been doubts. She knew she was adopted from the very beginning. And I'm so grateful that she was saved. Why isn't everybody else? 
we'll never know the story God has been able to tell through the men and women who cho chose to abort. We do know some stories of tremendous redemption and people who are on the front line for this cause because they made a tragic decision. We know of others who, who haven't come out of it as well. I've learned in my walk, Scott, that I pray that I'll understand what I need to and that I'll have the humility to leave the rest alone. In your research and in your experience, and as you mentioned, you've, you've traveled around the country, you, you've talked to lots of different people. And, and speaking of communication, as as you consider that young woman and and if hopefully the young man's involved and they're 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 faced with a pregnancy and they're faced with that decision you know one of the things i've often thought about is assuming some of the circumstances are right and they you know there's let's you know let's assume there's no domestic violence or anything like that you know one of the for example we're just having a conversation in another episode where we were talking about uh, how we would like to convey to the young man. We were two dads. We were just here talking. We would like to convey to him being a dad is going to be the most rewarding and challenging experience of your life. Right. But of course he can't see past the next nine months, 10 months. Right. Right. And I'm imagining it's the exact same thing for her. She cannot see past the short term, but but the reward, the, the the rewarding experience, it's going to be, it's good, it it probably be the greatest thing to happen to her. I mean, what are what are some um, tips or thoughts or you know what are some key strategies that we could have to help communicate to these young people in that situation the opportunity that lies before them? I love that question. I, if I could share something, we should not say. It would be, you can do it. If there's no evidence that that's called toxic positivity, if they're talking to us as family members or friends or they're at a PRC or whatever, no, you can do this. I mean, if they're overwhelmed and they're scared and they don't have any money and fill in the blank, right? They're, they're surfing on couches. They don't have a place to live. No, you can do it. That is so mean-spirited. Provide the evidence because evidence is real and evidence doesn't lie. So we will help you do it. And here's how, you know, there's a church, you know, down in the, in, on the South side, and they love to offer um, free housing while a young girl is um, ready to give birth. I mean, you find the resources, right? And this is why I'm so excited with how many pregnancy resource centers have um, locked hands with other nonprofits in the community who are doing other great things. They know where the housing and the food and the GRE uh, or the, um, you know, high school graduation stuff happens. And yeah, it's just so encouraging. So be really careful of, you can do it, you can do it without providing them with hope because that denies their fear and causes them to feel unsafe with us. And I don't say that to shame anybody who's done that. Well, you have good motives. It's just not healthy. What I, a couple of things that we can do, if you believe the person you're speaking with has come from a good background, you say, well, how do you think your mom felt raising you? Like, how was she overwhelmed? Was she joyful? Was she scared? How, how often was she scared versus confident? And do you think she loved it when you sang in the school choir? Oh, yeah, she still has pictures of me in the front row of the choir. And my mom was musically talented, so she loved it when I developed my gifts. So if you feel like they've had a decent background, I think you ask about their experiences as kids. Did you like being a kid for the most part? 
And did you overcome the challenges? And did you learn to fall down and stand up? So why don't you think your kid will be able to do that? And then another thing that I love saying to people, was your mom experienced when she had you? Like if you're the oldest, no, you're, you were the guinea pig. Your mom learned to parent how all the other moms in the world learned to parent by parenting. But we have resources for you here. We have parent education here. And we have mentors here who will walk with you for the first year of your child's life, monthly Diet Coke or tea, you know, dates. And that's true of a center I just did a banquet for. And so, you know, you, you can do this. And, and here's how we can help you do it. So talk about their childhood. Talk about the fact that every parent learns to parent by parenting and that it can be a good thing, that there will be highs and lows. And that's true of any aspect of life. It's not going to be different in parenting. It's worth it. Why? Because people are worth it. Because giving birth to someone who's yours, well, and influencing how that person views and lives life, there's nothing finer. What a privilege. Present it to them as a privilege and as an honor, and you'll become a better person because there's a little one looking after you. You're describing authenticity. Really. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're just saying, let's be, be real with them. I mean, for example, you would think every young parent ever has said, well, I don't feel ready. Well, right. You're not, you're not. I know. I mean, I remember feeling overwhelmed the first time we brought our son home. We weren't ready. Um, you're never going to. I mean, and that's something that would need to be conveyed to them is you're. Yeah, you're you. But that's OK. Right. I mean, that's common. Basically, that's common. That's what it is. I think we can help them get ready inside with a change of attitude toward life and toward themselves. You know, if you choose to give birth and parent, you know, we don't want them to do that because they feel scared that they'll abort and will hate them forever. They need to make a legitimate decision for life and for parenting. And they understand that it's going to be hard. It's going to be easier when they have a healthy perspective toward themselves and when they value life outside of the womb and they understand that they're going to have to sacrifice. Now they have someone who they have to put first. Those are conversations I think we also need to have. And that's hard for a 16-year-old with an unexpected pregnancy. Not easy for a 30-year-old who has a baby out of wedlock or a baby that was unexpected even in a marriage. It's hard. It's all, it becomes about the other person, which is challenging. It's not just about valuing the life inside of them. It's about valuing their own life. It's about seeing the value of the person they see in the mirror. It begins there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, and well, and I can, you know, that is, and maybe we've answered that question. I mean, maybe that has, is where it has started because, you know, we, we know that there are issues uh, in our culture with, you know, self-esteem and, and, and how people view themselves. Uh, maybe it is worse now than it ever has been before. Who knows? Uh, but we know that that is an issue. Maybe that's one of the reasons we are where we are. Well, I'll say just briefly, you know, I've written a book about technology called Screens and Teens connecting with our kids in a wireless world. I've actually spoken about that often at CareNet conventions because technology has changed the belief system of the younger people. As an example, there's five lies that I believe technology has taught kids. And the first one is, I am the center of my own universe. Now the personal computer was invented 40 years ago, 42 years ago, World Wide Web 29 years ago, iPhone 15 years ago. So people 40 and under, 29 and under, 15 and under, They've never known life without the ease of a device. And it allows us to think we are the center of our own universe. You know, there's nobody in my phone I don't want to talk to. And I don't have to answer it if I don't want to. When I was a kid, you had to answer the phone because you didn't even have an answering machine. 
When I was a kid, I had to go to the store with $18 that I had saved and hope the record was in stock that I wanted for the one song I wanted. Now you can listen to one song and get it and play it and pretend that it's free forever. And in some programs it is. You know, you can take pictures and post them and watch for the like factor. You can go on TikTok and make a video, which I don't think anyone should be on TikTok, and create a create something and watch for the like factor. So they think that they control their world and they're the center of their own universe, which is why they become self-centered, entitled, and they isolate. I don't need you because I am the center of my world. And I only need you if you'll affirm that I'm the center, but you can't because you think you're the center of your own world. So here we have these pregnant girls and these guys who are you know, conceived with a woman. And they think, no, I'm the center of my own universe. Scott, if we don't change that perspective and they give birth, that child's at risk for being ignored and, and seriously not fed. I'm not going to wake up and feed him. And so, and I mean that, like, this is serious. So this is why I'm such an advocate of kids going to PRCs to get the training they need. Because when they take the, you know, eight weeks or a year long parenting class, they begin to understand what it will take to put someone else first. I think it's foreign for all of us. It's the sin nature. But for these younger people who have been trained by technology, that they're the center. Look at me. I'm amazing. It become now some kids want to get pregnant and have a baby to put a baby on their hip so they'll have additional attention. And that's true. I'm not making that up. And it becomes a very, very difficult thing because the kid born is going to demand something of the mother. You know, another way I've, I've heard it stated um, when you talk about uh, social media and the impact on self-esteem, and this is, you know, this resonates with me. I, I heard it stated this way. When you, when you delve into social media, you end up comparing other people's highlight reels with your behind the scenes, right? right. You right. see everybody's highlight reels of, you know, their, their, their best moments, because that's what you're going to put on social media. But then, you know, your behind the scenes life. And you're comparing that and you're saying, hold on, that's, I mean, I'm not even close to measuring up to that, which of course is a false comparison. Exactly. Yeah. It's very, very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. And then as a result, you feel bad about, you know, what's wrong with me? I'm not measuring up. Uh, yeah. So you, you, there's a whole list of problems there. It, it is. Yeah. And, and again, do, are we authentic in our relationships to help them see what is true and prepare them for the reality that's coming up? Well, Dr. Kathy, it has been a pleasure uh, talking with you. There's there's so many different things that we could cover. Uh, but it, the, I think the big takeaway for today is just understanding that it's really there are there are multiple lives of value in this equation. I mean, we, we have always been so focused on saving the baby, um, but there are, you know, there are various, there are multiple lives that God values here in this equation. And we need to really take that approach, don't we? Yeah, that's a great point. We save the mother, um, both eternal life, pref preferably, and then to save her values, to, to teach her new values, to save her attitudes, if you will. Same thing with the guy. Um, absolutely. All right. Dr. Kathy Cook, been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us here today on Dear Jane. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. The emotions and fears women face with unexpected pregnancies are very real and can feel overwhelming. They're not looking for another person to impress their view upon them or tell them the choice is simple. They're looking for hope in a world of despair, confusion, and doubt. For the pro-life movement to truly achieve its goal of a culture of life, we must be able to reach the abortion-minded woman effectively. 
We have to be that beacon of light that understands her fear and confusion and empowers her with the confidence necessary to choose life. But how do we really reach her? Enter the Choose Life Coalition. We exist to help provide organizations and legislators with the tools to effectively reach and equip the abortion-minded woman, empowering her with the hope and confidence to choose life in post-Roe America. Learn more at ChooseLifeCoalition.org and receive the training, support, marketing, and other resources you need to successfully understand, reach, and serve her. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Marsha Marin. Marsha is the founding executive director of Life's Choices Women's Clinic in Central Florida. She's been the executive director there for over 17 years. During that time, they've seen a major shift in the demographics of the clients they serve. When we first opened, we were seeing 13 to 17 year olds. And that was in 2006. And we saw a great change in that age bracket around 2016, 16 and 17. And that's when we were in North Lake County only. And we saw that shift to about 18 to 38 years old. Then we started to look at South Lake County to find out if there were any medical pregnancy clinics down here. There was a pregnancy center. There still is a pregnancy center, but not a medical clinic. And so we decided to move uh, with their blessing. We came down to South Lake, which is now we're in Claremont. And that demographic is still the same, about 18 to 38. So, so age-wise, we've seen a big change. Age differences aren't the only changes they see. The women are a lot more calloused. They don't seem really um, eager to see the ultrasound. Their hearts, their minds are seared. And uh, at least in the beginning, 2006 to maybe 2014, 15, I mean, it was a seemed like a grievous decision for a woman, uh, even though she might be younger. Um, her parents were maybe more involved in that decision. So there was a lot more seemed to be a struggle. And now that struggle is just not there. We very rarely see a struggle with the woman. She just seems determined. She's already contacted an abortion facility. She's coming in to see us because she wants to find out about viability and STD tests. We've changed the way we do business. So um, we really have had success in getting that abortion-minded girl in our door. Marsha credits that shift in attitude to abortion being more widely available to this generation and more women knowing other women who've gone through the procedure. One of the positive changes they're making at Life's Choices is their outreach to men. But we have identified that men are the missing link in the decision-making for a woman that finds herself in a crisis pregnancy. We are going to move forward and we're going to hopefully hire a man on staff. We're going to make a baby boutique that's way more guy friendly than it is just woman friendly. We are going to decorate um, a specific room for men. And so I believe that the man is the missing piece. We got to have women coming in to get the men coming in, right? And so it is all kind of, I think when that piece comes together, I think we have, I think we've got it all. As for pushing back against the false narrative about pregnancy clinics, 
Marcia says the key is opening the doors and letting people take a look for themselves. And um, I would love for the people who think we're a fake clinic to come in and spend an hour with us. And I think that they would determine immediately that we love women, we love men, we love the unborn, and everything that we do is a kingdom, it's awesome, and it's medically accurate. In fact, she recently did that herself at Life's Choices Women's Clinic, and it opened some eyes. And I had 100 businesses come for our business after hours, and they gave me the microphone for 15 minutes. Now, you have to know that every person in this clinic was not a pro-abundant life business. And I'm telling you, by the time they walked out the door, they thanked me for sharing that I had had an abortion. They thanked me for being so open and honest and letting them come in and meet with our staff, get a tour of our facility. And they said, what can we do to help? We want to help support you. And I believe that's a key that we just open up our doors and say, come on in. We want you to come in and see what we do. So we did it and it worked. It really worked. My thanks to Dr. Kathy Cook for joining us today. She had so much great advice. One of the things I liked the most was to be authentic. We have to keep it real. When a woman is seeking options and she's leaning towards having her baby, we can't just tell her, you can do it. We have to show her. We have to show her how. We have to steer her towards resources. We have to walk with her through the process. Words are not enough. People don't care how much we know. They don't care about empty platitudes. At the end of the day, what matters is how much we care and how we show it in meaningful ways. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane. Don't forget to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. You can learn more at dearjane.org or choose chooselifecoalition.org.